As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Thank you so much. Um, in Welcome, everyone. I hope you can hear me. My voice will hold out, I think. Um, as I've been preparing for this evening, the, the, the theme of friendship has really um, gripped me. And um, as you, like when, when a theme sort of um, grips you, you tend to notice stuff around that theme. So um, when Pippa was praying, just now in the video, she was, I, I love it actually, she was praying for friends and, and neighbours. And this morning I m mentioned it as well when we were singing, I wrote it down, but um, yeah, it was, uh, I can't see, yeah, you're closer than no other. And it's a question about how we know God. How do you know God? It says in the, in the chorus, I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend. When you sort of consider that, sort of being friends with Jesus, it's, I think it's truly awesome. It sort of makes it achievable. I've lived in the goodness of God. Let's pray. Lord, anything we do here should point to relationship with you, Lord Jesus. So I just pray as I share a few thoughts on your word this evening that it would have a disproportionate positive impact and stir within us a deep, 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 deep yearning to be in relationship with you. Lord, even, even now we just recognize there's so much out there that distracts us. I just ask that you'd help us to be focused. I pray for all of us that we'd do some sifting and only the, the useful stuff would stick. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm <clears throat> just thinking about friendship. How, how much do you value your friends? Would, um, do you know who your friends really are? How would you, um, what, what would you value most about them? Could you name them? Or are they too countless to mention? We've probably got a device on our phones and different social media apps for friendship, but I'm not sure that to friend or befriend someone in that way is what's really been talked about when we're thinking about our relationship with Jesus. We're thinking about someone that we respect and trust and can depend on. 
And I suppose all of us, deep, deep down, we might not think that we need a friend like that, but God's designed us in a particular way to need his friendship. The friend of a saviour, that when everyone else disappears, we can rely on him. I've got a few friends you'll be pleased to know. And then he stood up um, and said, welcome friends. Because that's how Jesus views you and that's what it should be, shouldn't it, in the, in the family of God where we're brothers and sisters in Christ but we're friends also. Some of my um, long-standing friends, even from school, now some of you are at school and that doesn't seem like an impossible thing, but it's a couple of years ago that I was there and actually I've kept, I've kept some of the friends. Isn't that cool? But I'm pretty rubbish at keeping in touch with them. Even a few weeks ago, it's almost like an afterthought. We thought I'd invited a couple of our, um, my schoolmates and their other halves. They're married. Been married for over 30 years, I think. Invited them to come round and they, they came at the drop of a hat. It sort of made me feel like, like why didn't I issue the invitation before, who are the friends that you have that you take for granted that if you message them, they'd be there at the drop of a hat? Friends are people that we can hang out with. Hopefully they're people that we can be honest with. But if I'm really honest with you, there's probably only a handful of friends that I'd be completely and utterly honest with. And this is a bit of a sad story, but one person like that died two Christmases ago, and I've found no one to replace him. We're looking for people that trust us, and people that, like God, know us exactly as we are, and still don't look away. Now some of our friendships can be a little bit casual and some of us in a state of pride probably think well we don't really need any friends we can sort of manage on our own and I'd like to suggest if that's <laughs> speaking to myself I think we're completely deluded if we think we can do life on our own. Some of our contact with friends, I said this this morning, there's a bit of a repeat going on here. But um, some of you won't know what this is like, but sending a Christmas card, because uh, you don't do cards anymore. <clears throat> but Alison and I don't want to send a Christmas card. It's quite expensive to put a stamp on something to say nothing that says nothing about you. And it's not about bragging in your Christmas card or anything like that, but just you think your friends might just be a a little bit interested in your life, but we don't want to say too much because that could be a bit boring, I think. The key point is that Jesus is offering you and I a friendship for now and eternity with a love that is stronger than death. Jesus is offering you and I a friendship for now, let's not miss out on the joy of the now. 
we don't have to wait for eternity with a love that's stronger than death. Those of you who've been following um, the sermon series, um, reading the story, which is just Luke's gospel, actually, um, we know that Jesus, and this is quite shocking, he says some shocking things, and unsurprisingly, he makes plenty of enemies. There's a lot of people unfriending Jesus, and worse. Um, When speaking with his disciples, I'm in John 15 now, and pointing to his crucifixion for the sins of the whole world, and you'll know this, Jesus says that greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Often we quote this on Remembrance Sunday when we think about people who've died in war. Um, I'm not sure that I'm a good enough friend to do that for another person. But I suspect there's others that may do that for you. Jesus says, John 15, 15, He says this to a disciple, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. I'd just like to underline this. I think this is just so important for us to understand what's going on with Mary and Martha and Jesus. To know that what's being communicated through Jesus is from the Father's heart. Like, why wouldn't you want to know what God is saying? Jesus is with his friends, Mary and Martha, wanting to share. And the question is, who's waiting and wanting to listen? Jesus needed to be careful about who he trusted, and what he said to who, And when he said it, lest it scupper his mission, his journey to Jerusalem. (laughs) He didn't want to suffer a premature death, although you could argue 33 wasn't that old. Mary and Martha were going to become close friends. There was an ongoing association. We're told in John 11.5 that Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus, their brother. Later in Jesus' ministry, we'd see the extraordinary miracle raising Lazarus from the dead. In that situation, Martha was a bit peeved to say the least that Jesus had taken so long to come to the rescue. He was supposed to be their friend and he just took an endless amount of time. Mary and Martha lived in Bethany, just outside Jerusalem. We're told that Jesus and his disciples were on their way, but they stopped off without notice, I imagine, and visited where Mary and Martha lived. 
Martha, notice this, it's Martha who takes the initiative. It's as if she's the doorkeeper, she's the gatekeeper. She invites Jesus in and with that comes all sorts of social baggage of what she thought she was expected to do. It's a wondrous gift in the Middle East to offer hospitality. Different cultures are really, really good at this. This was a way of showing love. They'd even, within that culture, be prized if they do that for a stranger. Jesus was no stranger to them. However, it's not good if this wondrous gift of hospitality to a stranger and a friend in this instance um, uh, um, gets caught up, I suppose, in the frenetic activity of caring and looking after, and you have no meaningful engagement with the person that's entered your house. The sad truth is that we can be in very close proximity to experiencing the presence of Jesus. Like it can be all going on around here, and we can be busy doing clearing up or whatever it is over there. Or caught up in a conversation or something or something. Or maybe, um, for me, messages on my mobile phone. I don't know what it is for you. But doing jobs when others are worshipping and waiting on the Lord. For some of us, busyness is a way of hiding and avoiding a deep encounter with Jesus. Some of us deal with our pain in that way. Let's make ourselves busy so we don't have to face into it. Some of us do this when it comes to encounters with other people and Jesus. We're scared of it, so we preoccupy ourselves with other things. Martha was preoccupied with many things. I'm going to read out a list I've made up. I've drawn it from the passage. But maybe between you, God, the Holy Spirit, you can ask yourself which of these apply to you. So Martha was worried. I think she was self-righteous. She was aggrieved. She was comparing. She was complaining. She was um, leading herself potentially to be bitter and twisted and resentful. That probably doesn't apply to anyone here, by the way, so I'll sort of re-row back from that. But if by any chance the Holy Spirit thought that might apply to any of you, I suggest you do some business with him. Martha says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Poor me. Tell her to help me. And then there's a gentle rebuke from Jesus. Martha. Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. Not like just one or two things, many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. How must this have felt? And your sister Mary has chosen what is better, like the person you're having a go at and it won't be taken away from her. It's interesting that Jesus, who we read elsewhere in Scripture, loves Martha, loves her enough to rebuke her when she's missing out on what the best thing is. One thing 
is needed. There's a big difference between seeking God's face, God's person and presence, and seeking his hand, God's power and blessing. I wonder whether I've spent, I think both are all right to seek, but if I'm a bit honest, I've been rather partial to seeking God's hand rather than his face. And I put it to me and to you, it needs to be flipped into a slightly different order. I think it's okay to seek God's hand, but we first need to seek his face. What's Mary expecting? What's she asking for? You might have missed it. Did we skim over it? On my reading of scripture, she wasn't asking for anything at all. She was just sitting at Jesus' feet, listening and learning. That doesn't mean that she stayed there at his feet, but it means that when she got up with a degree of understanding and knowing the Father's heart and knowing Jesus' heart, she was more likely to be doing the right thing. She seeks relationship to grow in understanding and in their friendship. <clears throat> now this isn't a perfect illustration because it's not like not either or. It's not sort of two sides of a coin. Uh, the attitude of Mary or the attitudes of Martha. I think we're a mix of both. It's a question of what this is rooted in I think is more important. But here goes. In this incident, Martha was actively serving Jesus. So we'll give her that. But, but she was also missing out. There's no personal connection if you're too busy doing jobs. She was busy in the doing of life. Her life was pressured and filled with some distractions. She was irritable and anxious. She risked missing out on the joy of encountering her friend, her Lord, her Saviour, Jesus Christ. The greater risk is that um, that might be her default position for the rest of her life. So let me just put it to you. If she's got the maker of all things, like the Messiah in her midst, and she's busy doing stuff and she's not interested in having relationship with him, what would Martha like be in relationship with you? Unless I'm mistaken, you're not the Messiah. We set patterns in our lives and God wants us to encourage, to, inf to foster this friendship with him so we can be more effective friends with other people. She was distracted, busy, irritable, anxious. Mary, by contrast, was sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him. She was being with Jesus, enjoying intimacy with him, loving him, and taking pleasure in his presence. I just wonder how many times in 
my life and we try and do it in worship. But we come away and we just say, well, I've just so much pleasure in being in your presence, Lord Jesus. I just wonder whether the Lord might just sort of stir that yearning in me and in you. Question, do you think that Mary did household jobs? I think she probably did. But my question is, in what spirit do you think she did them? I think it was out of the overflow of her love for the Lord, out of grace. Uh, those of you who've done the Growing Leaders course, isn't there a, something about spirals of cycle of grace and cycle of grief? I'll leave you to name which applies to which sister. But we need to be on one side on this rather than the other. Sorry, I'll explain it to you after. If you haven't got the foggiest idea what I'm talking about. And everything, come to that. Mary instinctively knew it was right to wait on Jesus. She probably couldn't help herself. She was captivated by him and his every word. A deep encounter with Jesus, as we listen and learn, will help us to reorder our priorities and better be able to fruitfully cooperate with Jesus in his mission to the world. Later in ministry, there's this wonderful picture of Mary, a lot of eyes watching, of her anointing Jesus' feet with oil. This was expensive stuff that she was pouring on his feet and drying it with her hair. And, and um, Judas was looking on. He was probably weeping inside, all that cash being wasted in this way. He wanted to get his hands on the money, but he made an excuse of it. Shouldn't it be given to the poor? He had no intention of doing that. Jesus says, the poor you will always have, but encourage this attention and this relationship with him because he's going to be soon gone. And just a question for you when it comes to friendship. Who are the people that we need to relate to? and build our friendships with because we're not going to have them forever. Preordination. This is before I made a vicar. <laughs> um, ages ago. It's so, this is probably about 25 years ago. I don't remember much about small groups, but I was in a small group that was quite good. Um, and it's interesting what you remember. I know at St. John's Blackheath we had this... Um, small group study on Mary and Martha. And we were sort of going round the room, sussing people out. Are they more of a Mary or more of a Martha? I asked my wife whether she remembered the study of 25, 30 years ago uh, that we had. And interestingly, she had a vague recollection of it, but she didn't need to really go to the study to know that she has a predisposition to be doing things to be serving. So she's comfortable with the notion that she's more of a Martha than a Mary. I, on the other hand, and you're not allowed to call me this, but I am probably more a Mary than a Martha. But the trouble is, um, at times over the years, I've been so heavenly minded, I've been of no earthly use. That's been quoted to me quite a few times. And... Um, <coughs> 
And it's not, I have to tell myself this is, Patrick, this is not an excuse for sloth. But it's a wondrous thing. So I'm not embarrassed about wanting to do that. But actually my connectiveness with Jesus um, would probably, if it was working, so there's a bit of a short circuit in the process, but maybe the outflowing of that would be love and service to other people. We're reminded in the letter of James that faith without works is dead. But works without faith, dot, 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 is a fate worse than death. Um, last week I got away. I tried my very hardest not to go away. Um, life was a little bit busy. I was booked for a couple of conferences, leadership conferences that I should like, I do like. I should want to go. I do like to go, but I was meant to go to New Wine Leaders last week. And Louise will tell you that I tried very, very hard to give the ticket away. We couldn't find anyone that wanted to go. So she said to me, and that's not because it's a bad thing to go to, but she said to me, this was just a day or so before, um, Patrick, don't you need to reconsider whether you go or not? And I looked at my diary and it wasn't that busy after all. We make an excuse, don't we, sometimes about our busyness. It was just a bit of effort to go all the way up to Yorkshire. And I've been to a lot of these things before. So um, Vickers at my age and stage can get a little bit cynical. Been there, seen it, done it. And I go and God ministers to me sometimes in the power of the Spirit. I come back and I'm exactly the same. How does that work? So part of me is yearning for something that's actually going to make a significant change in my life. I don't need to go for a bless up. As as good as that is, I need to go and be transformed because that's no good to anyone, is it? If I stay the same in every area of my life, there's a lot of room for improvement. But I did go and I went with no expectation at all, with no agenda at all. I just went. Within a few minutes of going into this big conference centre, someone said, hello, Patrick. Well, it was someone who lives in Isha Claygate. And it's someone that I didn't expect to be there. Do you know Annie, who runs the Beeson Project? Some of you will. It's one of our mission partners. Last time I spoke to Annie, was outside the co-op. We were sharing stuff in our lives and we were praying on the streets for one another. Next time I see her, it's at the New Wine Leaders Conference. Now, Beesom, you might think, if we take the Mary and Martha illustration, they do a lot of activity. They do a lot of serving But Beesom do absolutely nothing unless they've done the Mary thing first. It's rooted in prayer. They pray and ask for God to provide. And if God doesn't provide, they don't minister to anyone. I just think a wonderful example. Then I'm there not really wanting to speak to anyone, just wanting to do my own thing in a room of probably 1,500 people. But actually in the midst of that worship, you can 
Just you and God do your thing. And I was open for God to minister to me in that way. One of the ways that he ministered to me is I think that after the last couple of years, I've probably developed a mindset, and it's very, very, very subtle, but you're sort of not quite going through the motions, but you go through the motions, the church sort of still exists, and not everyone's done a runner, and you're trying to expect people, encourage people to come back to the church, and they do, maybe not in the numbers that we had before, and that's a wonderful success. Glory, hallelujah. But maybe that's where I set the bar quite low. We're in a society where things are going a bit pear-shaped, not just in the Church of England in part, but in other places too. And I've got a low expectation, I think, as a result of that, of what God can do. I needed to repent of that. I've lost my hope and my expectation about what a wondrous God can do. God is, he said to Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life when she quizzed him about what was going on, about him being late for raising her brother from the dead. But there was a few other things that spoke to me. There was a thread, and, and maybe I was the only one listening. And people might have listened to different things. So if you speak to anyone else who's been, they might come up with different stuff. But one of the things that jumped out at me is a recognition that life is a bit tough and has been a bit tough. And you need to take that sort of stuff, our hurts, our griefs, our disappointments to God. And I preached on this at the beginning of the year. But without doing that, they stay alive in us and have a destructive impact. The other thing that came through, and it's not very popular these days, because we want to say there, there, and everything's okay, and you continue exactly as you like. It's your life, you just live it. But there's this dirty word in the scriptures called repentance. And they talked about that. And that's a little bit scary, but I twigged that I needed to repent of a few things along the way. And know this, there is no spiritual growth without engaging with God in this way. So if you've got nothing to repent about, the chances are you're not growing in your faith. And there's the affirming stuff that goes with that as well. God's delight in you. But if there's no repentance, changes of heart, changes of mind, that tells me that there's no transformation. And that needs to be going on in you and me. God promises to transform us from glory into glory. He says, that the work I've begun in you, I'm going to continue it. Have some of you stopped? This is, sounds like I need to be careful about. This is between you and God. But have you got stunted in your growth and development? Have you, like me, um, lost your hope and expectation about what the God of the whole universe can do in our lives and in his church? Have we lost belief that God's going to present to him a bride that's pure and spotless, a victorious church, not one that's lording it over lots of people, but one that we can be proud of being part of. And I actually want to say to you, I want to be, I want to be known as someone who's proud to be part of the church of Jesus Christ now with the expectation that we're on a road of transformation. And the last thing, and lots of people are talking about this, at the moment, but we get it 
in the Mary and the Martha story. And there's this notion of sitting and waiting at the Lord's feet. I, in my own strength and my own wisdom, and this is a bit self-deprecating, that is limited and I don't need you to tell me that, but we try and do church in a particular way. We have our wonderful programs and our wonderful ministries and our wonderful this and wonderful that. And most churches, it doesn't look that wonderful. But God's alive and working with us. I suppose what I'm longing for, when I can be bothered to stop and give God all the distractions, is something a bit different from how we've been doing stuff. And I'll be rebuked for using that word a little bit later. Dom told me the other day that I use it rather a lot, so you can correct me on this if you like. What if, just maybe, Mary's got the key to us as individuals and maybe as a church, been more fruitful than we have been. And the way I look at it is, what have we got to lose? If you look elsewhere, you look at Jesus's ministry, he took time aside to be in communion with his Father. You look at other examples in Scripture, nothing much gets done that's fruitful without this deep friendship and communion with God? Maybe a prayer is, Lord, would you try and help me to be a better friend? Not just with you, but with other people. You might find that in the great commandments. Something to do with loving God. Something to do with loving neighbor. Tonight, I, with you, just encourage you just to open yourself. You don't have very much. It's sort of a a chorus, Jesus, take me as I am. I can come no other way. Take me deeper into you. Let my flesh life melt away. We pray, come, Lord Jesus. We say thank you, Jesus, for wanting to be our friend.